Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you all have come along and we have a great show today. But somebody helped me realize that there's been some milestones in the podcast, which is just about two years old. And if you go back to the precursor of the podcast, it was formerly called Captain's Corner and now More to the Story. But just recently, we've surpassed a thousand followers on YouTube. And in addition to that, we now have passed 100 episodes of the podcast. So that's a pretty cool thing. I just thought I'd highlight. Thanks for everybody who's come along to participate in it. Those of you who are on my email list, thank you for signing up for that. You can find out about that at andymillerthe3rd.com. I send people a free gift if they join the email list. So that's five steps to deeper teaching and preaching. It's an eight-page PDF document and a 45-minute teaching that I do for folks. I'd love for you to sign up for that if you haven't done so already. Look, today is going to be a really interesting podcast. I recorded it, I think, about two months ago with, with my friend Jared Henry. And one of the things that we talked about was some of the movement that's been happening within the life of the Church of the Nazarene. And Jared has been a part, he kind of fell into leadership of a group called the Holiness Partnership. And it's in response to some of the moves away from orthodox teaching on human sexuality, amongst other things. And he talks about that here. But since we recorded that podcast, there's been a book published and it represents what's going on in the life of the Nazarene church, or as I say, the church of the Nazarene. And there's a book by an author that many people in Western circles might know, Thomas Ord um, and Alexa Ord, called Why the Church of the Nazarene Should Be Fully Affirming, LGBTQ plus affirming. Oh, I, I added a word in there. Should be LGBTQ plus affirming. So this is an interesting moment for this podcast to come out, particularly when this is bit, book has been put out. Now, this book represents, I think, like several authors. So the, the ords here just are editors of that. But what you'll hear in Jared's response isn't directly responding to this book. I wish we would have almost recorded this podcast after this had come out. But nevertheless, it still represents the same challenges and opportunities for clarity to come within denominations. And Jared is working, he's a, he's a local church pastor doing great work, and he's been led, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to kind of bring together a group of people who are representing that clear teaching on human sexuality and a host of other doctrines that go along with that. So I think the timing of this is unique and just know we need to be praying for our friends. If you're not in the Church of the Nazarene, pray for our friends in the Church of the Nazarene as probably in the next several months, they'll be working through these challenges. All right, this podcast is also brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we're training Nazarene pastors, Global Methodist pastors, Salvation Army people, Wesleyan Church, Association of Methodists, and non-denominational people all over. So we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we'd love for you to think about signing up to take classes here. And those of you who are moving into the Global Methodist Church, we have a course of study that's available. You can become a deacon and go through that process for $4,000 or $8,000 to be a full elder. So we'd love for you to check that out at wbs.edu. Also, I'm thankful to my friend, Keith Waters from WPO Development, who has led more than 250 churches through mission planning studies, feasibility studies, and capital campaigns. He does great work coming alongside churches, organizations, schools, to nonprofits to lead them toward the place God's calling them in the future. So I hope that you would check him out at WPO Development, and you can find a link to his website in my show notes. And finally, my little study on the book of Jude. I think, and particularly what Jared and I are going to talk about here, um, those 25 verses in Jude speak to the cultural decay that comes from bad theology. 
And Jude calls people to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I put together this study called Contender, six video sessions that I'd love for you to check out. It's, um, and it comes with discussion guides. It's great for a Sunday school class or a small group. And you can find out more about that at the, on the courses tab of my website at andymillerthe3rd.com. It's andymillerii.com. Also, I'm going to be a few places this summer. I'm going to be at Indian Springs Holiness Camp Meeting, preaching there in Flowville, Georgia, in the middle of July. I'll be at the lead conference of the Salvation Army in the Western, um, Western Pennsylvania at their Camp Allegheny there. That's for the Eastern Territory as a whole. I'll be in um, Olathe, Kansas, doing an event there. I have some other dates available, probably coming up in the fall. I try to just do one thing a month. Um, I can also come in if, if people are interested in Zooming in, those type of things. But if you're interested in that, there also is a tab on my website that you can check out for uh, connecting with me on speaking engagements. I'd love to talk you th talk with you about that if that's something you're interested in. It's not something I've advertised much here before, but I just wanted to make sure you know it's available. Okay, now it's time for this conversation I had with Jared. I hope you enjoy it. God bless you. I'm so glad you all are here. This is going to be a really interesting podcast. I have my friend, Reverend Jared Henry on. Now, Jared and I haven't actually met in person, but we've had a couple of Zoom meetings. Jared, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me today. It's good to be on with you and good to, good to chat with you again. Yeah. Now, Jared, just just tell us like a, a, a really quick thing about who, who you are, what church you're serving, um, and that sort of thing. We're going to talk about the Holiness Partnership, but just tell us a little about who Jared is. So I'm I pastor presently. I pastor in Mackey, Indiana, which you've probably not heard of Mackey because population is about 135. Oh, wow. Uh, I've been here. Yeah, I've been here for about five years, and uh, God's just been blessing, God's working, and thankful for the privilege to serve the people of Mackey Church of the Nazarene uh, yeah. as the lead pastor, and um, I moved here from Kentucky. I, I grew up in Kentucky, but pastored there um, about eight and a half years in Lexington and other church before that, so um, served in the Church of the Nazarene all my life uh, in terms of pastoral ministry. I've preached at other churches and then revivals and camp meetings and stuff like that, but uh, an ordained Nazarene minister. Gotcha. And, and tell us about your family. So I've been married for over 20 years now. So okay. I haven't read a book on marriage yet. I don't think my wife will let me do that yet, but uh, <laughs> I've got I've got two kids. Both are teenagers, uh, Jacob and Hannah. Jacob's 16, Hannah's 14. Gotcha. So I'm blessed. And we realize, like I'm in a similar, I've just hit 20 years of marriage. I have kids 15, 13, 11. And in our last call, we realized that we were at Asbury University together for like one semester. And, uh, but we did it. I, I'm sure yeah. we walked by each other at some point and maybe said, gave each other a high five or something, but we're in a similar yeah. state of life. Yeah. We, we, we crossed paths before we actually crossed paths. That's right. Well, Jared, one of the interesting things, like uh, I've, I've been really encouraged by you and the work that you're doing, not just like, like what, what you're doing in Mackey. And I was I was born in Indiana. I lived in Rushville, Bloomington and Indianapolis. So I'm a, okay. I'm a Indiana guy myself. Um, yeah. It's but nevertheless, like we have these various things in common where we've served in churches in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. But you have done something distinct outside of that that service in that you have some uh, initiated some work that, well, actually God opened up doors, I should say, to lead you to initiate some work at calling your denomination to back to its roots, 
to historic Christian orthodoxy. And so I'm really interested to hear some of that story. I, I'm really thankful for your regular ministry and just proclaiming the gospel and the, the opportunity that people have to experience sanctifying grace in this life. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I want to hit this interview in a way to highlight the way that God's led you to help serve the mission of your denomination. So tell us about like in, how this got started. Like the, in, you, you are the president of the of a group called the Holiness Partnership, but that there's a lot that came before that. So tell us about a little bit about that history. Yeah, so I'll just tell you first off that uh, I am primarily feel called to be a pastor. So that's yeah. that's like my primary calling, and and really the Holiness Partnership is kind of born out of that. Not just for me, but all of those that are serving on the board and are part of the Holiness Partnership is it's it's really a pa- an extension of our pastoral calling. So Great. Uh, a few years ago, I, I wrote an article um, about uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary, and it was the reason why I cannot can no longer support the seminary, the Nazarene Seminary in Kansas City. And um, I, I really expected there to be a lot of blowback, uh, negative uh, feedback from that, from the denomination and, at a, and kind of at, at large among my peers and pastor friends. Um, and uh, when I when I put that out, um, I actually got just the opposite. So um, okay. that that was received, uh, and I got I was getting calls from district superintendents across the USA. I got I was uh, contacted by missionary Nazarene missionaries around the world, uh, DSs, uh, pastors, uh, lay people, all kinds of folks, and um, and it was positive, saying thank you for articulating something that's been on our heart something that is of a concern to us and something that we've been kind of watching, but not really sure what to do. And so um, for, for three or four days, there was just so much, my phone just blew up with phone calls, text, my email. It was everything, you know, that I had about 10,000 views on that article that just the first month or so. And it just really was, way more than I expected. And so after about two or three days, I actually had to turn my phone off, get ready for Sunday and worship <laughs> and, and that kind of a thing. But it it turned yeah. into a time of really once things kind of settled down, I, I really spent time in prayer. I'm not a guy that likes to cry over spilled milk. I'm the guy okay. who's saying, where's the where's the mop? Let's let's clean it up. Let's not just point at it and complain about it. And so I really went to the Lord and said, you know, God, uh, what's heavy on me is that, okay, you know, we've rocked the boat here, but what, what do I do? What, what course of action? And uh, so I called a pastor friend up and said, Hey, I feel led to start something to, uh, to be a positive influence on our denomination to to do something uh, good with, uh, with a little bit of this momentum that was kind of negative starting out. And so, yeah, Hey, let me back up. What did you, and and you can decide, you don't have to speak to, we don't want to like slam on one denomination or one seminary, particularly me like working at Western Biblical Seminary. It's not my desire to, but to to really hit another institution, whatever that institution is. But but I think uh, a theme of this podcast has been like uh, times where I have spoken towards concerns I see within the denomination that I was raised in the Salvation Army. And then we've had similar concerns with the United Methodist Church and the emergence of the Global Methodist Church. So I've tried to highlight people who are working in similar ways. But could you summarize some of the concerns that were in that touchstone moment of the, and the, the article you're talking about, it was on a blog that you put together, right? This is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so on a tell blog. Us about so, that. 
So we've got the holiness partnership.com is a, is our, is the, is the holiness partnerships website. So you can find out about that there, but my article is not on that website. It's actually on my blog. So you'll have to Google that why I can no longer support the, but it was in essence, it was over the issue of sexuality, yeah. um, the human sexuality question. And I couldn't get a straight answer from, um, from specifically the president, but uh, um, a few other folks that are faculty there about, you know, not whether they agreed with the current statement or would abide by that statement. It wasn't a question of whether they'd abide by it or not, but the question had to do with, 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 you know, I'm not asking whether you adhere to a statement in our manual. I'm asking, do you believe that those who practice homosexuality uh, can inherit the kingdom of God and those who are practicing it? And, and I, you can't get a straight answer from some leaders on that question. I feel wow. like it's a it's a biblical question and yeah. it's answered in scripture, but it you can't get a straight answer from some of them. So so uh, but also there are some a lot of their speakers that they have are are pro affirming, which they would affirm like you can. They believe in gay marriage, for example, or the right. practice of homosexuality is compatible with Christianity, that kind of a thing. So you say that, they're speakers. You mean people who came in to speak at the seminary or seminary faculty themselves? Yeah. Uh, well, people who were coming in to speak, uh, and that became kind of the tenor of, of, of a majority of their speakers, but also, or a lot of their speakers, I should say. But also, there were some folks, there were some staffing issues. They had folks on staff who had been, um, uh, publicly had uh, said, this is where we stand. This is what we're for. And so, you know, just questioning, you know, how did they get hired when this is their stance? And it's it's obviously contradictory to where we stand as the Church of the Nazarene. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm in support of higher education. I'm in support of, of seminary education. Uh, it had to well, do good. with, <laughs> if it has Nazarene on the front end of it, then it ought to be Nazarene you know, right, right. Beliefs and lifestyle. So, I mean, that's a really clear statement. And I think that that's what the, that's what the challenge is. I mean, and even as we're recording this, the, the church of England is working through their challenges where they're saying, well, we can, and we can bless same-sex marriages, but we won't, we won't actually perform the marriage ceremony, but back to this idea of what it means to be a part of a group. And certainly there are opportunities for a healthy dialogue within within groups about the identity of the group. But if the if the group has made a decision and has consistently affirmed something that has been affirmed throughout the centuries of the Christian tradition, um, yeah. if you all of a sudden start to move away from that, you're, in my view, and now, Jared, you, you tell me where if you think I'm off, you're the ones who have moved. You're the ones who have right. changed. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, and this is, and you see, you saw this happening in these institutions and in, the, in this particular institution. And, and then here you are, a Nazarene pastor and somebody else is saying uh, something completely different um, from an organization and an institution that you support. So tell me how that works in Nazarene church. Um, so you, your church would actually pay to support the Nazarene Theological Seminary or would your, even part of your um, ministerial allowance go there? I mean, how does that work? So, uh, so there's typically a, um, uh, a free will local churches to support, you know, in an offering. So previously the church that I pastor had just budgeted an amount, said, we're going to give this to the seminary, but we also pay what's called the world evangelism fund. And there's, there's like a very minutia, minutia portion of that that goes to the seminary. 
as well. So that's not necessarily a voluntary component, but, um, and we still pay our World Evangelism Fund because that's also what supports the missionaries, it's it, the infrastructure of the denomination, all that kind of thing. So we don't, we don't withhold that, but we do withhold anything free will. Uh, we don't voluntarily give, and we've kind of allotted that, those funds elsewhere uh, to other educational institutions that we can support. Right. So that's that's kind of the way we did that. But I think you're right. It's it's the question is if if is the responsibility of the Nazarene Theological Seminary, just like a Nazarene Bible College or a Nazarene University, what is their responsibility in having our name on 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 over the door? You know, and, yeah. and is it specific at the seminary to raise up Nazarene pastors, ministers right. who will or missionaries or evangelists or whatever they are that will minister and are be able to articulate our doctrine, um, what we believe and those kind of things. And then the other thing that you mentioned was uh, something that kind of muddies the water in all this is that we're, there's a lot of folks trying to take human sexuality and compare it to some things that in the church of the Nazarene and even in holiness traditions there, we've had high standards about some things and some things we've changed over time. Like, you know, there was a time where you could not go to the movies. You couldn't go to the circus. You couldn't do some right, of those right, kinds right. of things. And so they want to conflate sexuality with the circus. And um, that, that's such a terrible misunderstanding of Scripture where you're taking issues where in previous generations we have tried to say, what does it look like to live a holy life in the culture that we live in? What does it mean to be holy? And yeah. versus um, uh, how that's lived out culturally versus uh, the standard of sexuality that goes that transcends culture. This is not something bound to culture, but transcends culture. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's important. To, in fact, you know, human sexuality has a soteriological aspect to it that, that it, yeah. it, it impacts your salvation. It really does. Yeah. And there's, of course, it's also like a Christological claim too. like rather or not Jesus has a full knowledge, like a, one of the claims that often comes from the pro LGBT side is that Jesus just didn't know, like yeah. he didn't have full knowledge. Like that's a regular, like, and, and that's what's been interesting to me is the way that scholars on uh, who would let, represent a liberal position on human sexuality um, just give the ground often about jesus and sexuality as if it's like already taken in this is term uh then discern that jesus didn't understand even evangelicals might say he didn't have a full knowledge well what is that saying about the nature of jesus as being fully god and fully man like this changes the nature yeah. of christology and the same thing is this obviously the soteriological claim which you made and i just think jared you and i have only been around each other a little bit but i think you have a gift of clarity um, and being able to point that you, you brought it down to one question. And I don't know if that's exactly what you phrased to the president of that institution, but just said, does somebody who practices homosexuality, will they inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, this is like connected mm -hmm. to a biblical call. I mean, the yeah. exact, so was that exactly what you said? Yeah. Just yeah. I mean, I've asked that question, not, not, not to many people, because this is, it's not a it's not like I'm trying to it's not a gotcha question. It's a simple uh, question that scripture has already answered for us. Uh, so it's not even I'm not really looking for your opinion, but whether you you would affirm scripture. And I think, you know, to carry the conversation a little farther, that ultimately that that's kind of the bedrock of this discussion. Is yes. Are we going to take scripture seriously 
and uh, do the work of, of understanding the word of God, that do we believe that God's word reveals to us everything that we need to know for salvation. And so yes. that's, I think that's another issue uh, that, that plays into this that we struggle with. Because again, it, you know, I've heard people say, well, uh, do you wear uh, a shirt that's got two different kinds of material on it? And it's like, well, yeah, this yeah. is ba basic biblical exegesis will help you with understanding the difference between sexuality and the fact that we wear, you know, a shirt that has two different kinds of material in it, or that I don't have uh, little curls on my forehead or something, you know. So right. uh, it, it's 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 just kind of a straw man arguments that defy basic biblical exegesis. Yeah, just understanding the nature of the old and new covenants, and uh, so like these these questions have been answered very readily i mean just on, on multiple occasions and so i'm not i i am disappointed that denominational leaders and i look to, to my own you know um often are just taken in by these arguments that have already been answered now so this this is part of what you raised so you that article that you had that blog that you had that you know went um holiness viral we'll say <laughs> yeah. you know like maybe maybe didn't get up to millions of views but ten thousand. 10,000 clicks or whatever, that's significant. I mean, and, and it's very targeted towards your denomination. So likely, you know, 10,000 people within your denomination seeing this within the, within the first month, you said. So our, yeah. was, So it, with that, um, this then led to uh, the holiness partnership. So let's get to that place. Like what happened there? Yeah. So after kind of things died down a few weeks later, I, I, like I said, I was praying, really seeking the Lord. What 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 action can I take? And from that time of prayer, I called up a pastor friend and said, hey, brother, let's let's do something. Let's make a positive impact in our denomination. And and he said to me, well, I'm a pastor. I don't have time to do that. And I said, well, I am, too, and I don't have time to do it, but somebody's got to do it. So it was a bit discouraging. But about a week later, he he calls me back and says, hey, man, God's really been speaking to me. I think you're right. Let, what do we need to do? And so I said, let's let's get together. Let's get 12 pastors um, across our denomination. We weren't looking for district superintendents, general superintendents. We're not looking. We're just looking for pastors that have been faithful and fruitful. And let's gather together and have uh, a time of prayer. So we gathered together it was a couple of years ago now. So it was it was kind of uh, still COVID stuff was going on, but we gathered in person. And uh, I actually didn't get a go because I was diagnosed with cancer and had surgery oh, wow. the day that we were supposed to meet. Oh, my goodness. And uh, Yeah. So I, that's a journey. I'm a year cancer free now. So praise God for that. Okay. Praise the Lord. But, um, so they gathered. And I guess when it's like any committee that meets when you if you don't show up, you get drafted. And I, that's where I became the president. And, uh, <laughs> The, the the vision kind of began to come together to be like, we're not going to be just a bunch of cranky people who are upset about everything. If there's a problem, what's what's the root of that problem? And so we want, we really believe that it was coming back to the message of full salvation. Scriptural holiness is the key um, for people, not just to understand it as a doctrine, but also as an experience in their life and, and to begin to live that out again. And that with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, our minds would change, hearts will change, our desires change, everything changes and gets oriented around Christ rather than uh, the things of the flesh and the things of the culture. And so that's what we set out to do. So we had a, our first gathering was 
that was in a fall. And then the, the first gathering was in April of the next year uh, in Kokomo, Indiana. And uh, we we had to kind of again, COVID was still going on. So all the all the stuff that had to do with that. So we had to kind of limit how many people could be there and that kind of a thing. But uh, and then we also didn't want to come just debate all these issues with everybody uh, that might have been. Uh, just trying to stir stuff up. We were like, look, we believe in the authority of scripture. So that's where we're going to start. And then from there, um, we're going to start promoting what we believe as the church of the Nazarene. So we, uh, we are, uh, we believe and promote the articles of faith that we have in the church of the Nazarene, the, the uh, code of Christian conduct, the, uh, our statement on human sexuality. We, we, uh, we affirm all those kinds of things and, and want to see that propagated and people to understand what we believe. It's a beautiful thing. And what we have found is that while this minority pushing an agenda, it's a culturally driven agenda, um, it, it's a minority. There are a lot of pastors, a lot of folks. Now, some, some are still kind of scared of what repercussions, but more and more people rising to the occasion and saying, thank you. We want to be a part of this movement. We believe this is going to be life and vitality for our for our church. Oh, I love it. This, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing thing how God led you at that moment to write that article and then get this group together. Um, it reminds me of what happened in United Methodist Church. I don't know how long ago it was, 40 or 50 years ago. Maybe you've heard the story. Charles Kaiser, I think was his name. He um, he wrote an article about, and I think he, he was in an area that he felt a little alone and he wrote an article with concerns about the orthodoxy of the denomination and the Sunday school resources. And then that article, this very similar thing happened. And then that mm -hmm. led to the good news movement, the good news organization, which became the good news for United Methodists. And that's a magazine that's been passed down now uh, through generations and was just leading people back to the orthodox message. And then they became um, somewhat political organization within the nomination. As you know, like part of what happens is the bureaucratic functions, and I don't say that as a bad word, right? Bureaucratic sure. functions can be manipulated and that's what had happened. And so part of the things that have led to um, the what's happened in the um, with the emergence of the Global Methodist Church was the political, I would say maneuvering, but just like awareness of what's happening. How is that? It, it, now your name isn't like, uh, the Holiness Partnership for the Nazarene Church, but it's at this point fairly focused on the Nazarene Church. What things are you doing in presenting this positive message? What things are you doing to and ensure like the Nazarene Church is holding to what it has historically believed? So, yeah, so we've kind of struggled with uh, how broad to make the Holiness Partnership because uh, we we met in Kokomo or Kokomo. Then then we were in Kansas City, which is kind of like the where the Global Ministry Center is. So the, kind of the heart of the Church of the Nazarene and and that kind of a thing. But in Kansas City, we had United Methodist. We had Salvation Army. We had Free Methodist. We had Protestant Methodist. We had uh, Free Methodist. We had a lot of other groups there as well. Now, it was a majority were Nazarene. Wesleyans were there. Well, majority were Nazarene. So uh, I think I think everybody within the holiness movement can resonate with the message. So we're yes. not just Nazarene uh, only kind of a thing. However, the hearts of our board is for our, our denomination. So I think that promoting the message of holiness, we're seeing folks that are uh, uh, coming to Christ. Uh, even in our gatherings, we've seen pastors who were 
uh, sanctified at the gatherings and uh, which is encouraging. It's discouraging. Like, well, I thought you had to be sanctified to become ordained in the church of the Nazarene, but they're receiving that blessing. And so that's a great thing. And, and I think, but just, just uh, giving a voice or a, a rally point for the many pastors out there who, like you mentioned, feel isolated uh, sometimes. And they're beginning to realize, wait, I'm not the minority. I'm not. I'm, there's more that are with us than are with them in reality. And so it's just a matter of, of dealing with some of these issues uh, through uh, institutionally or denominationally, however you want to uh, look at it in that regard, I think is, is what, what really it comes down to. Now, you mentioned the good news uh, the United yeah, Methodists yeah. with the Methodists. And that's one of the things that, that we're torn about is like, is like they were, they, in some ways, I think that was a good thing, but they failed. The denomination mm. splintered. That's right. And yeah, so for sure. historically, that's what's happened. Presbyterians, all the mainline denominations, they've either splintered or, you know, or gone down. And so um, no movement within a denomination has, has really been successful in turning the tide of these things. Interesting. And so one of the things that I'm torn about is I don't, I'm not interested in splintering my denomination. Uh, I came to Christ in, in the church of the Nazarene. And so I love it. Um, and maybe I'm, most people wouldn't say it this way. Maybe I'm uh, overly optimistic, but I, I feel like I have faith that our denomination is maybe small enough and, um, healthy enough that we're not where some of these other uh, denominations were with, with just being so large or, and, or they, they'd just gone too far. And so what we're also asking ourselves is what does it look like for us to, to go about this differently in the church of the Nazarene? We can't take our playbook from good news because while they were good and they did a lot of good things, ultimately they were unsuccessful in what they wanted to see happen. And so that's how you have the formation of the Global Methods Church. Um, so, you know, what does that look like? I'm not exactly sure, but uh, it's got to be different than what people have done before. Oh, Jared, this is so interesting. So I'm glad that you said that. And it's helpful to think of that. And I think there are likely things that are part of the good news movement, the confessing movement, and then the, the emergence of the Wesleyan Covenant Association that they just they had to have some response. They had to have a place to go. So there's sure. a way that the global Methodist church is at victory. And in the sense that, and in some, I've had somebody on my podcast to say how we shouldn't use that language, right? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. somebody won or lost. Okay. I get that. I'm s- sorry. I'm just trying to say things as precisely as I, as quickly as I can. Sometimes I, lack the precision um still like what happens there is like the kind of the the church that's holding to the orthodox tradition and what what the movement has believed in the authority of scripture that has persisted so there is a way that it's not a complete failure but you're are like what what would you say to to some of the folks who and there's a group that's a not just a, a opposition against you but a a group that has formed that is trying to move the uh, Nazarene church toward a more um, pro LGBT stance in the sense of trying to get them to change their, the policies and, and the doctrine. So, I mean, do you like, do you think that the, those groups can come back to orthodoxy or do you just want them to realize that they've moved on? I mean, what, 
Because if that's what's going to happen, there's going to be yeah. these two sides. So like, I would say, you know, uh, maybe this is, uh, I, I think there's, you know, the church Catholic and then there's the church several, which is yeah. like denominations. We, we coalesce because, why do we come together as a denomination? Because we believe uh, the same things. All right. Now, the church Catholic, obviously, there's orthodoxy within that. I think this human sexuality issue is outside of orthodoxy. You know, so I think that, you know, that's they're false teachers. They're not just it's like the difference between Arminianism and the Reformed movement. It's right, right. that's those those can be brothers and sisters in Christ, although they have differences. Right, but this right, is right. outside of orthodoxy. This is denial right. of uh, human sexuality defined by Scripture. And so right. I, I think that to throw that out there. Uh, but denominations okay. come together because we believe the same things. And so so it's like, well, if you, um, you know, for us as Nazarenes, so if you don't, if you if you don't, if you're not Arminian, then right. maybe you need to join a reformed group. You need to join a Calvinist group. I'm not saying that with a mean spirit. I'm just saying that for the sake of unity, you need to probably better identify with that because your theology dictates uh, form. It dictates uh, methodology it dictates a lot of things and so join folks who are have um, have a similar way of thinking about that rather than try to change where you're at All yeah right? and yeah. so obviously there's change in a denomination but we're talking about some substantial kinds of things and so I think that yeah I think if if they're going to be persistent if we've got folks who are who are dogmatically um, insistent upon the pushing the the human sexuality beyond the scope of scripture or to contradict yes. scripture i should say then yeah. i think that they either need to leave or they need to repent i'd like for them to repent yeah. and uh, yeah, but sure. i think that they need to leave but it, what you look at in denominations is you find that the folks being faithful to the historic stand of the church and scripture and scripture they are pushed out and right, uh, right. they eventually are rejected. And it starts with saying, well, give us room at the table. And eventually it, it's, well, you got to go find a new table. Right. And no, so it's true. That's the problem I think that I see. And can it be different? So I, I celebrate like the global Methodist church and their yeah. willingness to, to do what they're doing. And, and I think certainly biblically, you could say, well, is there a new wineskin? And the right. old wineskin might be the United Methodist church. And now the new wineskin is the global Methodist church. So Maybe they would make that claim, but I don't know that the Church of the Nazarene is old enough to be an old wineskin yet. And so well, there you I'm, go. I'm wanting to uh, for us to experience a, a refreshing. And at this point, it's going to it will be painful, I think, for us to really deal with all the issues. I think it comes to a place where there has to be um, accountability or schism uh, yes. at some point. So um, you've said that like that's what you either you know, go someplace else or repent. But at some point within a denominational structure, there needs to be accountability for that. Like there needs to be a place where somebody comes in and says, this is the option. And it's not not necessarily like for, you know, one pastor and one church to do that. The same thing happened in, in my denomination. There's a couple of now, oh, sorry. Um, there's a couple of uh, territories within the Salvation Army that are in areas that are more more progressive than the United States yeah. um, and have said, no, well, we can't do this because of our culture, uh, Australia, um, I believe it's in Norway as well. And so to me, what I've said to, is that, well, this is the, this is the opportunity for 
the international, the people who are in executive seats, their role is to execute. Now, now I'm not saying kill somebody, but like execute, right, act, right, make right. things happen. You're the CEO, even though we have ecclesial language, you're the CEO of the Mackey the Nazarene church. So you execute the church's mission there. Well, we have people who are in authority and in your tradition, general superintendents and my tradition, simply the general, right, is responsible for executing that mission and then facilitating that and holding people to account because we we've all committed to be a part of something. So it has to come to that place. And so you think that the nature of like the ground game, so to speak, like, what do you think is that I, I, this this won't be exact. It won't be scientific. I recognize that uh, the Nazarene churches around the the world, like the global Nazarene church, what um what percentage would you think would hold to um the a biblical understanding of human sexuality? Oh, I would say ninety nine percent. Really, uh, that high? I mean, yeah, I think I think yeah, it's a vast majority, but. What what happens is uh, a lot of the a lot of the folks who are pushing these ideologies are are in uh, they work themselves into positions of authority within the denominational structure, and so okay. I think you know the the whole idea of accountability you're dead on. How does it start? How did it start in the United Methodist Church? It started by someone just looking the other way. You know, someone's obviously violated what we believe, and yeah. I think you can graciously implement church discipline. And right, uh, right. The, for the sake of restoration, but you have to do it. You can't look the other way because, oh, this could harm my relationship or this could be um, awkward or this is a relative of somebody else. That that can be an issue in in smaller denominations as well. And so I think to sure. uh, to begin to implement church discipline is is an essential. Otherwise, it's like, well, why say anything if you're not going to hold to it? Right. And um, implement these kinds of things and hold people accountable for what they do and what they say and who they are. And so and again, I think we would understand they want to muddy the waters uh, sometimes some of these folks. But there's a difference between issues of promoting a sexual ethic that goes against scripture and debating upon uh, whether Christians can watch PG-13 movies or R-rated, or PG, or TV at all. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, just yeah, like, that's yeah. a totally different subject. Um, those are worthwhile conversations as well to, to debate, or to discuss, or to evaluate. However, those kinds of discussions are different than someone directly contradicting the clear teachings of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Right, right. And so that's what's happened. So you think if it's not, let's even say it's 95%, but you have 5%, those people, uh, th those folks are in positions of authority often is what you're saying. So if not always, was, but yeah. So, and, and they tend to gravitate, and I know you're part of a seminary, but they tend to gravitate towards some of our academic institutions as well. It mm -hmm, kind of becomes yeah, yeah. a safe haven, you know, and academic institutions are supposed to explore different ideas. But right. it would seem to me that a Christian seminary, uh, specifically a Nazarene seminary, ought to lead the charge on intellectually helping people understand why we believe what we believe about sexuality. And so yeah. um, instead of advocating for behind the scenes more, some of their uh, staff advocating for changes in what we believe, really standing up. And, and I think that the Church of the Nazarene has a history of 
of being very supportive of universities. We've started a lot of schools. We have a seminary around the world. We have schools. And, and then some of our scholars, William Greathouse and, and Taylor and a lot of these others who were advocates for what we believe. They weren't working against what we believe. They were advocates right. for it. And uh, so I appreciate, you know, that uh, we need that today. We need scholars who have gift of knowledge and understanding and wisdom and to utilize that in a way that is supportive of the church rather than eats away at the moral integrity of our statement on sexuality. This is where it gets interesting, and this is uh, what happens in the United States, and I'm going to use an analogy that might not seem to apply at first, but for 15 years I was in the Salvation Army, as a Salvation Army officer, that is, and oftentimes people would want to support our humanitarian work, which was done in Jesus's name, by the way, because... They, they didn't like government programs, right? They, and, and I was often really glad to, we were glad to do that because we could mm-hmm. have independence and people would support us because of that. And what happens when you have bureaucratic structures that are develop um, is that they become like, you know, uh, um, Ronald Reagan says, like uh, when he talked about uh, government agencies, like the closest thing to uh, everlasting life you know, that we you can have. It's like once it starts, it's really hard to stop it. And yeah. I kind of think about that in light of like what happens in a denomination. So a denomination creates an institution, creates a department, and it starts to have its own life. And a denomination, for good reasons, wants to have a seminary, right? Because we want to train our pastors. But I mean, this is my little appeal to mm-hmm. uh, or something like Wesley Biblical Seminary, is that we're we are unconnected to a denomination, in, in, except in the sense that we are approved to train ministers in certain denominations. And mm-hmm. I think w- that keeps it so that we're, we, we are outside of any of those systems that can, uh, unfortunately, that like, get caught up in the politics of a particular denomination. And I just wonder if that model mm. might be better. But, uh, of, of, of course, I'm partial to it because that's what I'm a part of and I get my livelihood from it. No, no doubt about it. But I think there's something to like, maybe it's like in the future, this is this is where we go. Like, do is there, I mean, or the, how about this, Jared? Like, do you think there should be the denominationally uh, oriented universities and seminaries is that something that's needed for the church in Nazareth, or can you just like stick with like a schools like us yeah i'm i'm, I'm definitely supportive of wesley biblical seminary appreciate what you all are doing i've got some friends that serve there on staff and then the faculty yeah. and stuff and so definitely uh, appreciate um what you're doing um you know i don't know that i would say it's either or i think it's probably both and Okay. Um, but what we what a denomination has to constantly do, it's just like in the local church. And we're always afraid of having any kind of a metric to see if we're fruitful. All right. Mm. So in the in the in the Holiness Partnership, we talk about, you know, um, resourcing the church to be faithful and fruitful. We're not just trying to say, hey, we're all going to be orthodox while our churches dwindle away and our denomination dies. Um, right. But we want to be fruitful as well. And I think every institution uh, of the church has to uh, be constantly evaluate themselves, just like scripture calls us to examine yourselves individually. But I think even corporately, let's examine ourselves. Have, are we seeing in a local church, are we seeing people come to know Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are people uh, go, walking into the intimacy with the Lord? Are, are more people coming and searching uh, uh, and is our attendance 
You know, and so one of those measures may not tell everything, obviously. But when I go to the doctor, one of the first things they do is they take my temperature and they check my blood pressure every time. And uh, it's like, well, my foot is broke. I don't need you to check my temperature. But they're using metrics that can can not don't tell everything, but they can tell something. So if my temperature is off, if my blood pressure is off, it may be indication that there's something more that is a problem that needs to. And so I think. Um, even our academic institutions need to begin to institute metrics upon themselves and be public yeah. about it. You know, what does it look like? How many of the folks that are graduating from here are fruitful and faithful pastors? How many are yeah. leaving the ministry? You know, all those kinds of things I think are now we don't always want to talk about that because, you know, I don't always want to talk about my attendance. If my attendance at my local church goes down, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about yeah, it yeah. It's going up. But but I think to be faithful to what God's called me to, I've got to evaluate those things uh, often. And so often asking, okay, wait a minute. Hey, it's been, it's been a couple months since someone really came to know Jesus as their savior and had a, had a life transformation. So what's going on here? Are we yeah, missing sure, something? Sure. You know, and I, so, so I think those metrics are helpful, yeah, whether you're good. in or out of the denomination. Uh, they don't tell everything. Obviously they're not idols. They have become idols for some people, but we've thrown them out. And I think we've harmed ourselves by doing that. And that, too, lends itself to accountability. You know, so how many Nazarene pastors is the Nazarene seminary producing? Now, you as Wesley Biblical Seminary, you've got to be producing folks because your your existence kind of depends upon it. Yeah, if you're not if you're not producing pastors who are going out being fruitful and faithful in their settings, and having other young people called to ministry and coming back to the school, right. you know, for training, then you're going to eventually, in a, a few decades, you'll cease to exist. But denominational schools, and this, this exactly. is weakness, is they've got an ongoing pipeline, sometimes whether they are faithful with those students or not. And that's, that's why I bring it up. This yeah. is why, so because like, is that, is that, it, it sounds self-serving because I'm at an independent seminary, but is it systemic? And you look at what happened in United Methodism, all of the, the United, official United Methodist seminaries, not a one of them is, was, was biblically orthodox. Like not, not and, and they all received fine. And there, there was some, I forget the stat, I think Boston University has had two, just a couple, less than 10 ministers. Uh, people training to be ordained elders in the United Methodist Church, yet they were getting more than a million dollars a year from the United Methodist Church. Like that metric is there, but is there something, this is why it's connected to the government programs. If the, if, if the government's going to keep on paying for you, well, then why do you? Well, like what can there be true account? And I think that's what you're trying to do. So I'm not just trying to say, stop all the, stop all the schools and support Western. But is there something like systemic behind it. And I love the fact that you're like, I want there to be a faithful and fruitful Nazarene theological seminary. There is plenty, like there's, we need a lot of people to mm-hmm. be active. Mm-hmm. Like I would love it if there were United Methodist seminaries that were faithful. And I would sure. love the same thing true for um Salvation Army or any other denomination. Well, I think every, any denomination also has to deal with institutionalism, right. that um, right. that if we're not careful, uh, we can become loyal to the institution, to the to the neglect of 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 God. That our institution can become an idol to us almost Absolutely. to some extent, and uh, and that and certainly could be 
problematic. Um, I don't think I don't think that we're there on a on a large scale in the Church of the Nazarene, and I appreciate that, and I, that's why I have hope that we will we are willing to say, hey, this is this is a problem. But uh, yeah, I think just being part of a denomination is has got its own challenges, but um, but it but at the same time, it's got its own benefits as well that are important too. No, it's right. I mean, you have these connections and you have a, a shared history, shared the, I mean, it, it'd be easy to say, okay, we'll, we'll just have our independent thing. I, you like your church in Mackey. You'd rather not be moved. You'd rather own your own property, whatever. It, but there are theological and ecclesiological assumptions that are made with the fact that yes. you don't own property. And, and, and those are things that unite people. Like people might not always understand that because they come from a different tradition. Okay. J- uh, Jared, I want to make sure to tell us more of like what the Holiness Partnership is doing now about your conference, how people can find out about it. Yeah, so we have uh, you go to our website, thehomespartnership.com, um, and uh, you can you can kind of follow different things that are going on. We're 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 working hard to uh, implement uh, discipleship groups. We really believe that we're more of a grassroots. We're trying to uh, do grassroots kind of stuff to, to make things, good things happen. A lot of pastors who feel isolated, solo pastors and their pastorate, uh, even, even those on staff at places as well, though, um, need to be incorporated into regular time. So I, I have a couple of groups that I meet with every week, um, uh, the, for accountability, mutual encouragement, uh, we challenge one another, we walk through the word together, and um, that that's just healthy. So we're doing some of that as grassroots, and then our gatherings um, that we do. Uh, we're not we're not having a full gathering this year, uh, mainly okay. because of the General Assembly of the Church of the Nazarene. But we will in 2024. So I'll give out those dates are not out yet, and and that kind of a thing. But we'll have speakers and stuff and and, and all that. But uh, and then we have workshops. We have a number of workshops, and really it's just about how does how does our doctrine uh, of holiness, scriptural holiness, how does that impact, you know, some of the issues that we're facing? And we're, we're, we, we want to talk about the issues of what's going on. What about racism in our culture? What about yeah. the issues of life, not just abortion, but, but also euthanasia, uh, doctor assisted suicide? You know, what do those things look like? What does it look like to have a, um, a family in a time where it, it just, the family is kind of eroding and, and that kind of a thing. So all of the, not just human sexuality, but all of these, these issues that, you know, what about uh, social justice kinds of things or critical race theory? How do all of that, how does that match up with and, and align with uh, biblical truth and with um, uh, our message of uh, full salvation? Yeah. Oh, I love it. So um, I know you have that general assembly coming up. What are some things that you're uh, hoping will be emphasized there? Like, is, is there something that um, you're, you're, you're seeing on the horizon. I think, yeah. So I think kind of the institutionalism, and I think the, the United Methodists are seeing it now. We probably in the last 20 years, the Church of the Nazarene, it seems like has kind of begun to trend toward the episcopacy, stronger okay. episcopacy. And yeah, so sure. um, I'd like to see that trend a different way. We've uh, sometimes it feels like uh, kind of the default response to everything is, well, the, the general superintendents will handle that. Now we have the Church of the Nazarene has six general superintendents. We're international, so they're actually from from different world areas when they come together. And I'm thankful for our general superintendents, but I think it's kind of uh, it's kind of laziness on everybody else's part to always kind of punt to the the board of general superintendents on everything. And so we keep we keep piling more responsibility on them, 
And when I think our districts need to take on more responsibility, especially with, uh, we talked about church discipline and accountability, that's yeah, their responsibility. Sure. And so, I mean, I've talked to, I've talked to leaders before and it's like, well, you know, I just don't know if I want to do that. That causes a lot of trouble. It, it, it stirs things up and it's just like, well, do something different then. Don't be a super, don't be in the superintendency. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, sure. don't go into the uh, episcopacy of our denomination. Stay as a local church pastor if that's what you want to do. But I'm, I'm a local church pastor. I have to deal with stuff in my local yeah, congregation. Sure. You know, it's just like I, ha- I have a responsibility to be faithful to our theology, our faithful yeah. to our practice and those kinds of things as well. And so it's just it's uh, so I'd like to see us at the General Assembly start to uh, trend away from just punting everything to the board of general superintendents. Yeah. Um, they've got enough on their plate. There's six of them for the whole world. So wow. they've got enough on their plate to do than us keep punting and giving them more and more responsibilities and taking that away from, from districts and then districts taking that away from local congregations. And uh, I think that's some work we need to do. Um, and um, I think we're going to face, um, we, there was debate at the last general assembly before COVID uh, so it was almost five years, five or six years ago now that we had General Assembly on on um, gender and, um, you know, are people, are you born with either male or female? And so there was some, it, there was a, there's, there was uh, legislation that passed and then it was kind of rescinded at the last minute. I felt like it was kind of a political move and brought on by confusion. So we're supposed to see that legislation come back up. So you know, I'm interested in what that will look like for our denomination. I think that's going to be important as well. Um, and then just what happens with our human sexuality. We passed that at the last uh, General Assembly and whether there will be edits made to that, what those edits will look like if they if there are some proposals in that area. So those are the kinds of things I think that uh, we'll be looking at. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, well, and, and just real quick, how does it work with the polity of um, the Church of Nazarene? It, are all pastors a part of the General Assembly or are people voted to be a part of the General Assembly? Yeah, so your your district uh, votes to elect, uh, depending on how large the district is, um, they, they get so many delegates. So typically it's like the district superintendent is automatic, but then then there's usually two or three other uh, elders and then there's, lay, there's laity as well. And so gotcha. every... Every um, district uh, that's at a certain level in the world can send delegates. So it's a it's we are an international church. So everything that we do at General Assembly impacts us internationally, not just regionally. Gotcha, man. It's so interesting to hear this. And I think people in my audience from other denominations, like a, a lot of my audience is from the Salvation Army, but in other what Wesleyan, Free Methodist. And global Methodist, I think they're finding they'll find this all really interesting and encouraging. Jared, I just want to exhort you: keep up the good work. You know, God. Yeah, well, has thank you. In this thank place, you. and um, you know, the theology that you're supporting is right in line with Wesley Biblical Seminary and the things that we're doing to train trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we want there to be healthy institutions. And I love the way God has led you to do this. And the vision you have not just you, but the holiness partnership of really seeing that uh, the church of Nazarene doesn't go down the same path, that, that, that things can be turned. And so know of our prayers for you and our support for you from Wesley Biblical Seminary and Andy Miller's Thank The Morning Story Podcast. Well, yeah. let me ask my last question, Jared. Okay. So is there um, more to the story of Jared 
than is often told? I mean, you have all these other things. Is there something you like to do that you don't talk about very much? I play pickleball. Are you? Okay. Yeah, I'm a pickleball player. I'm not, I'm not that great, but I, I enjoy playing pickleball from time to time. I also have, uh, I used to bike more. I'm going to try to do it more. I got a new bike. And so I'm going to do some biking this summer um, for exercise. So since I've gone through my cancer spell, I've, my age is starting. My rebound has been a lot slower. So I can feel it sometimes on Sundays after I'm preaching, you know, a couple times on Sunday morning and then Sunday night too that uh, my endurance is is low. So I've been trying to do some things just to work on my physical health and that kind of okay. thing. So I guess that's that's uh, maybe more to the story of me. I'll tell you, uh, and maybe a side note too, is one of the things that I've learned in this, uh, this endeavor is that uh, you get a lot of criticism and uh, I, I've encouraged folks who are also taking a stand in their churches, their denomination, uh, keep a tender heart but have thick skin. Mm. And sometimes what happens is you do just the opposite. You have wow. a hard heart and thin skin, and that just doesn't work very well. You have to keep a heart tender toward the things of God, the work of the spirit, but you have to have thick skin to let some of the stuff just like water on a duck's back. Yeah, that's a good word. I think that's a great way to finish, Jared. Um, yeah. Something for us all to point to and really ask God to do that work in us. So we're ready, yeah. ready for the challenges that are coming our way, but also ready to have a tender heart towards people um, and where they are. And I know that that's been a part of your own uh, ministry as well. Um, so thanks so much, Jared, for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me.